is in the pudding, and the pudding in this case is a football. Boom! Eat my goal! The goalie has got football pie all over his shirt. Welcome to this latest episode of the Devon Pool Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Abbott, and once again, I am joined for a game review by From Away's superstar, Gary Griffiths. Welcome back, Gary. Thank Good you for you. having me once again, and hello to our Cambodian listeners. Should start off by saying, yeah, man. So, like, so it was really funny. Like, I was like looking at the the stats because you know what? It's really weird. Like, I don't normally give a shit about the stats and stuff like that but somebody had asked me a question about it so i looked them up and yeah we were we were 20 in cambodia for uh soccer podcasts in um like for apple Podcasts, which i i think is probably the greatest accomplishment accomplishment on my life so it certainly is mine yeah, yeah. so you, you i i i know that you went and learned some cambodian which i think is called Khmer. am i saying that i think it's i have the language. no idea mate I can't um so yeah so you're gonna say hello to them and say thanks for listening right if I could remember what the word is, I would. it was something like um, I would keep wanting to say Susulio, that Phil yeah. Collins song. No, Susulio. Sus- <laughs> it sounded like that in my head. So, so just for for anybody in Cambodia, watch out for our uh, world tour, which will take in Ireland, the UK, Cambodia, and Canada. To be honest, right. mate, I think I think we've just isolated them. <laughs> Sorry, alienated them by doing that. <laughs> Well, it's your fault for bringing up Phil Collins. To be perfectly honest, that's it. We're, we're now the charge. Oh, he's a, he's terrible, isn't he? But that's a different podcast. Yeah, um, that yeah, I, that is a podcast I would do not want to touch. So, um, th- this game, like we obviously were on cloud nine after um, the the Pacific game. This is a game that we said again is a must win or at least a draw, which I thought was like going to be the worst case scenario for this one, um, but. In, the inconsistency of this team uh, struck back in a, a big way. So um, I just wanted to kind of get your thoughts on, first of all, the, the formation and the the lineup. What did you think? Like, obviously, he, uh, Polisi went out of the, the lineup, and um, um, I don't know whether that was through injury or not, but uh, do you think we lined up the same way as we did against Pacific, or was it tweaks? I, th- I think formation-wise, we're pr- in a pretty settled way of playing now. As anyone that watches us in any kind of detail, week in, week out, like we've we've talked about it on here a million times. Like there's a very distinct way of playing now, um, and it was same again. Went with pretty much the same team as 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 we had against Pacific with Daniels as a false nine, Sam playing from the left, Salter from the right. Um, as per usual, Rampy on his own there as a six and two eights ahead of him. Um, Regarding Polisi, I, I I think I can kind of get what Stephen Hart and Alejandro Dorado's thinking was there. I think, so Ottawa, away from home especially, are a really good team because their distances are so, so tight. They, they don't give you any, any space between their attackers and their midfield, their midfield and their defenders. And we're a team who structurally like we, we're quite layered like by having a false nine and a lone six you, by definition you're really layered because you've got two really prominent players playing between the lines and against a team like Ottawa that doesn't work very well because their distances are so good they're so compact there's there's no space I mean you're playing between the lines but there's no space between the lines to operate in so I kind of I get 
the idea of playing Lamoth because I think he's a bit technically is a bit more, he's a bit more jinky, is a bit more subtle. He's got a bit more, he's got a bit more. Yeah, a bit more cuteness to how he plays compared to Polisi, who I think Polisi against teams that are better than us and against teams that are going to be on the front front foot against us is the perfect player because he's aggressive, he'll press high. But Lamoth in these sorts of games, I get the thinking. I, I do understand why he plays in these games because he does offer something that Polisi doesn't on the ball. Um, but yeah, I do think we ended up missing Polisi though. I think so too. I, I think that um, because we didn't have that extra little bit of aggression in there, I think that uh, Oli Bassett kind of was running the show in there. And I think having Polisi biting at his heels, I don't think he would have had as much space and as much time as what he kind of had. Um, but yeah, like, I, I don't know. I, I just think that I'm kind of old school and I just think that like you had, you had, we had a win inside. Like why, why mess with it? You know, like especially considering that like I know we were coming just off the back of a a big trip out west, but we're not playing again. We weren't playing again for like another like twelve days or whatever it was, like or ten days or or whatever. So I I I don't understand the thinking. It's like you know, winning team, don't tinker it, just leave it the way it is and see how it goes. And I don't think anybody would have complained and said, "Why are you playing Polisi?" Because he's been playing well, right? So I, I it's just I I totally get where you're coming from, and I understand that he is technically. A better player and he also does offer us a little bit more in terms of like shooting and stuff like that. He had a couple of like uh Lamont had a couple of chances from outside the box that I don't think Polisi probably would have taken on. Mm. But um I mean to be honest, I, I would have also started Polisi again. I quite like Lamoth, but I would definitely start Polisi, but just in terms of trying to get inside the coach's head and why that decision was made, I think it was probably unless there was an injury, I think it was probably because of that. Yeah, and that that's that's a thing that obviously we, we don't know about. But um, it, it was just this the game. I just thought, like you know, I can't remember the last time the Wanderers game, probably Toronto, when we kind of came out of traps and we're like getting stuck in and you know they're kind of being like on the front foot and whatever. And I know that the play style has changed a little bit, but like we're just slow, slow, slow starting, and it's costs against Edmonton when they scored against us, costs against uh, Calvary. And even like our build-up play, like there's no there's no pace with it. Like the, when we're going through the transitions, it's like it's just so slow and predictable. And this is a really well coached um, Ottawa team where, like, uh, you know, because we were just playing in front of them, they just, as you said, like they just kind of made themselves very compact. And we're not very good at breaking down teams like that. So, like, why do you think that, like, like the team play is that a Stephen thing, or is the team just like falling into? like this trap themselves like what do you think is causing like why we're so slow at like uh, our builder play mm. yeah i know what you mean it's 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 interesting because we seem to fall apart at a similar phase of the of moves every single time like we're good we're good going from ox to a center back we're good going from a center back to rampasad we're good going rampasad to an eight we're good going the eight to the right back and then it's just from there we can't once we get into the final third there's there's something missing. I don't know what it is, but there's something that doesn't quite work. And we never, like we don't, it doesn't feel like we create much from them positions. Like a lot of the goals we score are kind of obviously set pieces or just something out of nothing. Like we've nearly done it a few times. We don't really like pass, 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 pass chance. Like we don't really do that. And I think it is, I think you've hit the nail on the head there. Actually it's, it's speed of play and it's pace of passing and it's, 
it's like when I look at us now, I can see that we're really well coached and I can see the patterns they're trying to play. Like there's kind of these automatic movements players make, like there's a yep. trigger when this person gets it, this person will drop in here, etc. And I can see all these patterns happening, but you need, you need speed of pass. You need conviction and you need confidence to play that way. You need to play one touch for it to work. And this kind of circles back to something we were talking about a little while ago, like this kind of tension between having a way of playing and does this league have a higher quality enough of players to play in this way? And it's, it's something I still keep going back and forth on because you can see the patterns, but the quality just isn't quite there sometimes. Um, and I think, I, yeah, I don't know. I, I, I think a trade-off you have to make when you're kind of, when you're leaning into a style and a defined style, you need to, well, you don't need to actually, like this is your choice as a supporter. You can either accept it and go young team, developing team, learning a new way of playing. I'm going to be patient and I'm going to see how this plays out till the end of the season. Yeah. You can choose to be like that. And I personally, for my mental health and sanity, choose to feel like that and be like that. But I also think a supporter is well within their right to not choose to be that patient and to kind of want, results and want something tangible right now to hang their hat on um and i think there is slowly becoming a divide not a divide in the fan base that's far too putting way too much into it but there's there's a little subtle chasm appearing in the fan base now between people like myself who are very happy to be patient and see this out and see where this project goes and those who are quite impatient and want like we've been watching kind of mid-table football for three years now like we want to see something good yeah. and something winning um and i'm i'm curious to see how that plays out throughout the rest of the season yeah i mean like we're in we're in year four of this now and we, it just it kind of feels like and this that this is horrible because obviously coming off the back of the pacific thing we we're talking about this this is the turning point um this is like you know if we win the next game we're going to go second all that kind of stuff and it was great but it, it just feels like we're like it's one step forward, one step back, and we—it just feels like we haven't really progressed as a club that much. When when you kind of look at like Ottawa, for instance, like I mean, like this season they've had those two like ridiculous losses to Edmonton and to, to Valor. But I mean, like you know, they've just beaten Forge and they beat us at home, which is isn't that easy in that atmosphere. But I, I just feel like teams aren't afraid of coming here anymore like it just mm. it, like you know the atmosphere is still the same it still is intimidating like the the kitchen keeps rocking and you know like the whole game like no matter what there's people pounding drums and, and all that kind of stuff but it just feels like on the pitch like you know people teams used to come and they'd be making mistakes in the first few minutes and we'd be cheering and da 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 but they've just they've just been allowed to come in and just like set up shop in, in a way and like like I just feel like that, like the Pacific game, James Merriman didn't has not watched enough Wanderers games because he allowed us to play exactly what suited us. Um, in that like we he let us like like have the ball deep and we're, like you know we were able to make like the runs and stuff like that. Whereas these guys were, as I said before, like earlier on, were so well coached. Um, they were set up for a draw. I felt and the oh, first yeah. the, the first half was like pretty much. A stalemate, um, and there wasn't much really. Like Ali Bassa had a couple of like little moments of uh, like brilliance. There was a couple of chances. Like Salter had the, the, the header, 
but apart from that, there wasn't really much going on, was it? Like, so, like, the first half, like, it just felt like two teams that were just, like, trying to figure each out, each other out, and it was kind of like a chess game. It was kind of... There was, there was no there was no space on the... Well, yeah. There, there was no space on the pitch that either team had the skill set to exploit. Like, all of the space was behind the centre-backs. Yeah. And neither team is... Well, Tabler aside, actually, and he did yeah. exploit that eventually. But we're not quick, really, as a team. Other than him, they're not that quick. So everything was just really congested, and it was it wasn't a great game. It reminded me a bit of the York game, to be honest, yeah. where it was just very two very compact teams on a small pitch. And I think that's something we could probably talk about later, like the size of the pitch affecting our difference in form away and home this season. I think I think that's something that's happening. Um, but yeah, I, I agree with you, Sam. I, th- I think I think I, what I saw was some players like wearing the scars of the Forge game, a bit quite traumatic for quite a few of the players, like in front of, like, I'm sure they had friends and family there in front of like all of your supporters losing so heavily and so like, it wasn't then them games weren't close were they yeah. so as soon as you kind of return to the scene of the crime in a situation like that and something negative happens like you have a sending off or you go one down um like that kind of that trauma is reawakened and you you shrink a little bit so you know like uh it's like sam had a pretty pretty decent game against specific he scored and he was kind of making some nice little runs and stuff like that um but I felt him and Daniels in this game were very ineffective. Uh, like I, I, you know, we kind of you, you kind of mentioned that Daniels was back doing the the false nine kind of thing, but he just didn't seem to have the same presence as what he had against uh, Pacific. And like he just, I, I just felt like he never really got into the game. And I think a prime example of that, I don't know if you noticed, but uh, I was like right behind the over towards the corner flag for the game, and they got a free kick right at the end of the the half that Ollie Bassett was taking. And he went to take it quickly and Daniels went over and kind of put it off. Like he kind of stopped him from taking the free kick really quickly. And we were like, well done. Great. Blah, blah, blah. Literally two seconds later, he turns his back on it mm-hmm. and walks off. And then Ali Bassett does the quick free kick. And it's like, dude, like, you know what I mean? Like, so like, it's, it's just that kind of like sharp. Like I, I just felt like it was kind of, in a nutshell of what the, that first half or the whole game was for, for Halifax, that was just, we just weren't sharp in our, in our minds. Like, I mean, mm. it was like, you saw what they were trying to do. You stopped it, but then you proceeded to just turn your back on it and walk away. <laughs> and they did the exact same thing. It was when they created that chance right at the end there, when um, I think it was Tabla got right in at the, uh, the, the touchline yeah. and Peter Shala had to clear like right before half time. And I, I just, it's kind of, to me, it was just like a, in a nutshell of what, that that first half was like but what did you but I, I know we were kind of chatting later on but what do you think of Sam's performance in this one and, and Daniels I, th- I think yeah I think Daniels was trying really <laughs> hard in the first half especially I but going back to what I was saying earlier like he's good when there's spaces to operate between the lines and that space wasn't there so I mean when that space is squeezed you then go to plan b which is exposing the space over the top and if you have a threat, if you have someone that can do that, then that naturally forces their centre-backs back and yeah. that space in the pocket is suddenly open again and Daniels can exploit it. But we didn't really have that other option, so it was in, it was pretty impossible for him to get into the game, I thought. Um, I, didn't, I didn't think he was... I didn't think he was bad, to be honest. I thought he was, he was fine. I thought he looked quite bright in the first 10 minutes, but as soon as it wasn't... It was clearly not happening for him, it, he really 
yeah he really faded um Sam the same I didn't I, I thought he struggled to be honest I, I think I think he's going to be one of those players who blows hot and cold a lot I think I don't think I don't think he's a seven out of ten every week player I think he's an eight and a half out of ten and a five out of ten player um so have like days like against pacific where he was really direct dribbled a lot exposed their fullbacks scored and then he had days like like um like thursday where just nothing really came off for him um i'd have probably brought Corey bent on a bit earlier to be honest yeah i think that was more of a Corey game who's who's like even when there aren't the spaces on the pitch like he's very head down and he drives even when something doesn't seem like it's on and i think we just needed someone like that uh, we're, we're, we're going to get into uh, the, the substitutions and h- how long they took and all that kind of stuff uh, in a little bit. But I just thought I'd circle back to the little thing you're talking about. So <clears throat> do you think that the style of play we're trying to do, um, the pitch doesn't suit it because it's smaller? Do you think that's what the part of the issue is? I, I don't know. Um, I haven't really fully developed that thought <laughs> in my own brain, to be honest. Um <laughs> I do know we look better away from home, in my opinion, anyway. Like, we look a lot better away from home, um, whether that's a psychological thing because there's less pressure when you're not, you haven't got 6,500 people to keep happy. I, it might be that. It might be a style of play thing because, like, we've, we've talked about this before um, this idea of expanding and contracting. Like, you want to be compact and contract when you're defending. And then when you attack, you want to make the pitch as big as possible and expand. And our system of play really relies on expanding and making the pitch big. So again, you have these players who play in the pocket being able to do what they're good at. But on a small pitch like Wanderers Grounds, you can only do so much expansion because there's not actually that much space to to move out into. So yeah, that could... I I don't really say that with any great confidence. I haven't really thought about it in depth, but that that could be something that's going on. That'll be uh, that'll be your homework for uh, next yeah. week's episode. <laughs> <laughs> I do, but I just think we're like um, as well. I, I think we're I think we're, we are a little bit more like before when we play away from home. We were always kind of set up to go for a draw, and I think that we're set up to be a little bit more uh, entertaining and a little bit more exciting. Whereas I felt mm. like with like on on Thursday, it was the opposite. I felt like we were set up to to get the draw and like you know just to kind of keep some sort of a momentum going that we're kind of going to get a point and it kind of it did backfire spectacularly if that was the case but I just I I, I don't know I just we just did not see him at the races it like they'll probably say it was because of the game at West people players were tired and, and all that kind of stuff but then you know like every team is trying is, is moving around like that too right so it's I think there's know. something in that what you like what you said about playing away from home looking more exciting I think it's as simple as when we play teams in in their stadium, they have to attack us. The, the impetus is with them. So therefore there are a lot more spaces across the pitch to exploit. And I think it's as simple as that, really. That's why we've looked so much better away from home because home and away, we play the same way now. That's that's changed from previous seasons. And when there's spaces on the pitch, we're going to look good. When there's no spaces on the pitch, we're not going to look good so, until so, we find a plan B. So, so that's the thing though. Like, I mean, does that come down to coaching then that, you know, like you're 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 more of a student of the game than I am. Like, you know, you're, no, 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 but no, I know, but you 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 know a lot more about like the the formations and stuff like that. So, like during the games, like, are you seeing the team change formation? Like, is Stephen Hart on the sideline, like saying, "Okay, we're gonna, like," because you see Tommy Wilden Jr. Like, he talks a lot about how 
he like in this, the course of a game, it changes five or six times, like the formations. And Bobby talks about the same thing that it's very fluid that they set up one way, but then like there's always changing depending on the way the game is. Do you feel like that we're we're very rigid and we just stick to the same game plan the whole time? No, I wouldn't say that. I think I think in defensive phases and attacking phases, we definitely switch how we play. Like I think I think our, I think the changes Stephen Hart tends to make are more. They're more positional, personnel positional changes. So he'll 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 switch players on the pitch, and they'll they'll still both be doing the same role on the opposite sides. But he'll, like our two eights will switch. Like if it's Lamoth and JGL, they'll just switch sides. So one will be the left eight, and one will be the right eight, and they'll just offer something slightly different in those roles. Um, same with our our front three as well. The left and right attackers will sometimes change in games, and we're, we're quite fluid in that way. I don't think like we. I don't think we switch a crazy amount, though, to be honest. And I, I think I think what's happening is we're 13 games into this completely new way of playing with a coach. And it's this uh, I think, again, I think a lot of this is Dorado. I think I think he's responsible for really giving us a defined visual style and visual way of playing that we can all recognize. And I think with 13 games into this with a new coach who's this is probably the most responsibility he's ever had. Like he, he was, he, he worked with Benitez in China, but I don't think he was his direct assistant running all the training sessions or anything. I think, I think this is his baby. I think reading between the lines a bit, the heart is more of a, you know how Alex Ferguson used to be at Man United. He'd be like, he'd oversee everything, but yeah. he'd, have, he'd always have a good coach who, who was doing like the tactical stuff. And what it looks like to me is that's how we operate now. Um, and I think we're just at a certain point in the evolution of this way of playing that it's, it's still early and we're still finding out what's good and bad about it. So do you think that we have like the personnel to like to, to play that way that Dorado wants us to play? Do you think that's part of the problem too? Is that like, you know, we didn't change very much during the, um, the off season. We kept an awful lot of players, 15, 16 players, um so he was kind of he was kind of le- like he was he was kind of forced with these players on him in, in a way you know what i mean so do you think it, that do you think we might see some changes in that like during the next off season or i do yeah i mean when i interviewed matt the other week he he a, bit, a thing he went big on was now we have a defined way of playing it's much easier to recruit so in future he can look at what we need from a six what we need from an eight etc and work like that what what i would be interested in is like those post-season discussions from last year so when at what point did we know we're getting dorado in at what point did he really express his philosophy and his way of playing to the management and then did the signings come before that or after that i think that's quite an interesting thing i would imagine i would imagine they came before that because there are there are some areas where you think that player doesn't like so th- and this is a league-wide thing like versatility is a massive attribute yep. in the canadian premier league isn't it but i think when versatility means a player's never been good enough in one area to nail down a position as his own and as a result you get yeah very versatile players but players that don't really have a defined role on the pitch and when you're playing in a way which demands defined roles and defined ways of playing versatility can sometimes be a bit of a hindrance but I understand why, because of cap space and you need players to plug in different areas. It's actually a really good point there. Like, you know, just anytime you make a sign-in, nobody ever seems to be 
like able to nail down what position that player plays in. Like, I yeah, mean, so he, it'd be a good centre back. He's a good centre midfielder. Left back. He's a good centre back. And yeah, like I mean, like we're, especially like with, with Omar, who was like one of the the headline signings. Uh, I mean, people were like, "Is he coming in as a centre back? Is he coming in as a six? Is he coming in as an eight? Mm-hmm. Even Daniel's there. Like, where he's on, is he going out on the left? He's going to go whatever. So, uh, like, you're right though. Like, they do seem to like for every player, like they're brought in just because they can play somewhere else because the the squad size is so small all the time that they need people to to slot in, which is why we saw Santos playing like left back and Jeremy playing left back last year and. There's no way that they should be playing in those, those no. positions, right? Um, so so like this the second half, I thought that we 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 were a little bit more on the front foot. Um, it was even mentioned on the commentary. Like I watched the game on uh, one soccer today and watched the back, and uh, Adam Jenkins had, had actually said that you know like the Wanderers were put up the tempo a little bit, but then obviously the the red card happened and. This is where I wanted to bring up the the point of this, the substitutions. So, so Sammy Saltz. <laughs> I thought you were going to say I'm not going to. I'm not trying to be an asshole. No, <laughs> I'm trying not. I know. I'm, I'm consciously trying not to say that. So, so Sammy Salter, right? So he got into a a, a kerfuffle with uh, Drew Becky in the second half, and so Becky was trying to like he, he came across and got the ball and I think Sammy Salter had like a little bit of nibble on him and then Becky like literally like took him out like he, he shoulder charged him the ref didn't see it blah 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 and then Salter got up and said something to him so like we already know that he's got this kind of he, he looks like butter would melt in his mouth but he's obviously got like a bit of a something simmering underneath there right so which is cool like you kind of you like to have that a player with an edge right so the first yellow card when you look at it, it looks to me like what he was trying to do was was to bounce the ball off the hoarding at the back for it to come back to where it was going to, like because it was going to be a throw for for Oliver. So I don't think he was I don't think he was purposely kicking the ball away like in a snit. I think he was trying to get it to bounce off the hoarding and come back. But then obviously, like it's very tin metal <laughs> on those hoardings, so it didn't come back. And then the ref gave him a yellow card for kicking the ball away. So the first one was. Stupid on his part, absolutely ridiculous. Especially because Tabler had just been booked for the same thing. Yeah, exactly. Right. So, like, you mean, like, like, but he's still young, and we're giving the benefit of the doubt, blah, blah, blah. But just before he got sent off, he he took out Maxim Maxim uh, Tissot. Um, it was a rash challenge, and Alan Jenkins said on the the thing like, oh, that that wasn't a yellow card, blah blah blah. But it was very like it was very close because he was late. And he, he went in and it could have been a yellow card. So so he's already having this row of Becky. He's already like got the yellow card. He's got this tackle. Like if I'm Stephen Hart, like take him off. Like I know mm. he's our best scoring chance and people would be up in arms and stuff for that. But like, like just take him off. Like he's, he's going to be a liability. And we, we, we need him obviously because for other games and the game's nil nil at that, at that stage. You've got... Garcia on the bench, you've got Marshall on the bench, you've got Corey Bent on the bench. Just make the change. So, like this is always this has been a criticism that's kind of been placed to Stephen Hart. Um, they is he's been mocked a little bit on the commentary on soccer that he doesn't do early substitutions. What do you think it is? Like, why why do you think he's like that? I I think it's still kind of a hangover from the three the three sub stays where you save yourself. Like it used to be. Arsene Wenger used to do this like he would never make a sub until the 70th minute and it was a it was an in-joke for Arsenal fans for years that oh 70th minute he'll make a sub now and he always would and I think this kind of idea when you only have three subs of really trying to make them count and kind of keeping your cards as close to the chest as possible until 
until you need to show them. But now we have five subs. Like you, you can afford to make a sub between the 45th and the 70th minute. Um, and you're right. Like Salter was playing on the edge a bit and he was kind of bubbling over a bit. He's normally quite good at controlling that and keeping himself quite, um, quite calm. Well, he, he kind of, he gets into little shoving matches, but he never looks like really angry. Does he? He looks yeah. quite cool about it, but yeah, I think Becky was getting under his skin a little bit and yeah, I'm same as you. I would have, to be honest, by about the 60th minute, cause it's, still wasn't really clicking up top i'd have brought i mean like our subs bench the one thing we do have is a lot of wide forwards like that that we're not short staffed there we have more than enough to to bring on a garcia and marshall so yeah i would have made i'd have kept daniels on but i'd have brought bent and probably marshall on for salter and because as well like i mean like their left back like maxime Tissot is like in his 30s he's not as fast as he used to be so like that 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 was a good I thought it would have been a good pressure point for us to kind of like put a bit of a push Fernandez. And if you had like Marshall or Bent on that side, kind of pushing them back. And I think that would have given us like maybe something, you know, like a little bit of a, a little bit different and, you know, just kind of using their disadvantage to our advantage. And I, I just, it's, it's just the thing with, with Stephen Hart that I don't quite understand that when it's not clicking, like he, he doesn't, he seems very reluctant to pull the trigger and I don't know whether he thinks that it's because he's going to get criticised afterwards because people are going to be like, that substitution was ridiculous, it was nil-nil, blah, 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 blah. But in this instance, I just think that he waited too long and then they scored and then he starts making, um, like he brought Marshall on and da 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 And it's like, at that stage, it's it's too late. You know, it's like, like you know, it, I just I just don't quite understand like why he waited that long. And even another one that puzzled me and, like whatever uh so like he brought off so his normal plan b when we're losing is for peter charlotte to turn into a center forward and he lumped the ball forward to him and hope yeah. to get a knockdown and i don't think it's ever worked but at least it's something it's some sort of a plan b right <laughs> so then in the 80th minute he takes off peter charlotte and brings on restrepo and i i i don't understand i i couldn't Unless Peter was injured, I don't, I couldn't understand. Like, I know, like, and the, the funny thing was, I was talking to my, um, my friend Dave, who, like, your, your stalker, Dave, he, um, <laughs> he, uh, he was like, why is he bringing Restrepo on? And I was just like, well, he's, I guess he's a better passer of the ball. And talk about commentators, of course, because then, like, two seconds yeah. later, he gave the ball away and they went on and scored. But I, I was wondering about that as well. I, I think I might be wrong, but I, I feel like I remember Charla already being on a yellow and having a bit of a rash challenge not long before that happened. So maybe it was a preemptive thing like shit, yeah. we could be down to nine men soon. That's what I thought at the time, but yeah, I'm not sure. And it was, it was even like the, um, like bringing Gander off and like for, he, he took Gander off and brought Corey Bent on, mm. which that one I didn't understand either. Like, uh, like so do we switch the three at the back or like? We've... I think that was just trying to add another body into the attack, to be honest. Like, I think that's, I think that was just going, we're either going to draw this one, one or lose two nil. Let's see what happens. So like, like and... let's just throws. Like, it's like, you know, like when you're playing FIFA or something like that and you're, you're losing one nil with five minutes to go and you just like throw all your forwards on and hopefully. Oh, mate, I, again, Arsene, <laughs> I'm going back to Arsene Wenger. Arsene Wenger used to do exactly the same. Like he just, if we were losing in the last 20 minutes, he'd put all of our attacking players on and just go figure this shit out. Like just figure out, you're all good players. And that reminded me of that a little bit. <laughs> you're, you're all big boys, go for yeah. it. Oh my God. So yeah, so, so you know, like the, that was obviously like the, the big, the big turning point was the sending off. And, um, but you know, it, 
criticism is going to be leveled again at, at the goalkeeper for the, the first goal. Like, so haven't had a chance to look back at it. What did you think of the, the goal? And was he at fault? Could he done better? I, I'm always like loath to talk about goalkeepers because I really don't understand. I'm, I've never really played in goal and it's a position I don't fully understand. But like from from a layman's perspective, like we're both coming at it from like, it looked like his mistake to me. Like, it, so the ball gets whipped in and Rampy kind of sits, sticks a leg out. And I think Ox was kind of, he kind of turned his body a little bit, anticipating that Rampy was going to get a touch and he didn't. And then the ball comes at him at an angle he's not expecting and it kind of wriggles through his legs. That's what it looked like to me. Um, what was your reading of it? Yeah, like, I, like you know, it, it obviously didn't help him that Drew Becky was running across. because that, like, that as well, yeah. Originally, like, uh, they thought that was, it was Drew Becky who had scored. So that obviously put him off. But, like, when you're a goalkeeper... Like you kind of have to keep your wits about you a little bit, and it just it just looks bad when shit goes through your legs. And there was a couple of times during the game, like he was making rash decisions where, like, he was. I think there was one where, like, he ran out of his box and, like, he didn't need to. And there, there was a couple of like little moments where, like, and there's uh, maybe he's feeling it more than most of the pressure of being at home because obviously he's from here and and da 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 da. And I know that people are kind of like has. What the hell has Kieran Basket done to Stephen Hart to not warrant? But like, I think the problem is is that Kieran Basket has been like whenever he has been in hasn't looked super mm. strong either because like you know the couple of games he's been in like I mean he's kind of I think it was the Forge game the four 0 like he was kind of a fault for a couple of goals in that one a couple of games last year like he wasn't you know like I know he had the um, the uh the trip to Coventry, but I'm not too sure like what that actually has done to progress him. I don't know if it's made him like you know it, yeah it's it's just odd um you know and I think that's a position that maybe next season we're going to have to take a look at because like the distribution wasn't isn't the greatest um and I, like I hate I like Christian Oxman's a legend in Halifax and he's done so much for the club like in terms of like some of the penalty saves he's made and all that kind of stuff. So I, I hate talking like this, but, you know, the club, we're going to have to get used to people that we love as players, like moving on or being moved yeah. on. And I think that like the top teams in this division, like have top class goalkeepers. And I think there's enough of them in Canada too, for us to maybe start to look at that position mm. as something maybe to change. Yeah. it's uh, So kind of going into what you said about <coughs> excuse me bar, basket i think i think what's happening is sometimes a player's reputation can be inflated when they sit on the bench for a while because you you focus on what they can bring to the team instead of the guys that, that that's there but um like he hasn't looked amazing when he's like you said he hasn't looked amazing when he's played like he's he's fine i think they're both fine they're both fine goalkeepers but we're getting to the point now in the in the trajectory of the club where you need a little bit more than a good shot stopper, which is what I think they both are. I think they're both good shot stoppers. Um, Shep, like my mate who I sit with, um, Shep, like he said to me during the game on Thursday, and I'd never really thought about this. He was like, I think we should use an international spot on a goalkeeper. And I wasn't convinced at first. We kind of talked about it for a little while and he he did convince me this idea it's not a waste of an international spot. Like, okay, it was in the first season because Jan had his had his issues. He was aging out of his career, wasn't he? But it, it shouldn't be seen as a wasted international spot, especially when 
I would hazard a guess that players from the continent and players in South America, sorry, goalkeepers on the continent and goalkeepers um, in South America are quite handy with the ball at their feet. And if we're really going to commit to this way of playing, you need a goalkeeper who is essentially another, is essentially your sweeper. Who yeah. can, who's, I mean, it's why, it's why Tristan Henry so keeps getting picked by Bobby. It's not because he's a great goalkeeper with his hands. It's because he's very good with his feet and he can start to build attacks from that part of the pitch. And I think, I think if we're going to really say, okay, this is how we're going to play now over, not just this season, over two or three years, we need a goalkeeper who can pass at the level of a CPL centre back. Um, and I don't, I'm not convinced that Ox or Basket can do that. I think they're both just very, very good shot stoppers because their backgrounds in in college in college football that would have been their primary function is to be good good at saving shots. But there's more to that role now, and I think we need to we need to start to move towards that in the off season. Yeah, I, I, I get like as you like as you're saying there. Like, I mean, I don't think there's an issue with using an international spot for a keeper, but I honestly do believe that there's enough good goalkeepers in in Canada that like we like you know like Sirwa is fantastic for Valor. Like, like there there is and um, who did they have before? They they had like a, another Montreal goalkeeper there before. Like, I think it was him by the bubble, wasn't it as well? Yeah, but they had one. Be- they had one this, the first season, and he he's like he, he got bumped back up to the first team. I can't remember his name. Anyway, a uh, Pantomist, I think his name is. Oh so, right, yeah. So so I mean, like I think there is good quality in Canada. Um, I just you know people have been, and I think it's really mean to say, like they're both good backup keepers. Like they're not number one keepers. But I mean, like even like looking at Nate Ingham and and like you know like he he's good with his feet as well as being a good shot stopper. And I just think it's, you know, it might be somewhere that they need to look at because like we shouldn't be talking about the goalkeepers as much as what we tend to be, what we seem to be, you know? And mm-hmm. as you said, I mean, if the primary function is to be a shot stopper and we're talking about mistakes that are leading to goals, then it kind of defeats yeah. the shot stopper thing. So, yeah, I, I said, I hate talking like that, but I mean, it's just, it's part of the game. And I think it's something that, we're all going to have to start learning in, in Halifax that, you know, a lot of the players that we're going to really, really like, they're either going to get snapped up as we're seeing in Calvary, like half their squad seems to be getting, being rumoured with moves away and, and stuff like that, uh, or else people just being moved on. So I mean, mm-hmm. it's, it's part yeah. of the game. And just, just a last caveat to that. I did, I did mention it earlier, but like <laughs> for me in terms of, putting any stock in what I have to say about this like I really don't understand goalkeepers I never have done like it's this weird position on the pitch where they're basically playing a different sport and I think unless you're in that world um, unless you're like training day in day out as a goalkeeper like it's it's hard to really know what's going on to be it's, honest yeah it's de- it's, it's definitely um it's you're right it's it's totally like a yeah, proper uh People always talk about that. It's, it's like the, probably the one specialized position really in in, in football, and it, it takes a certain craziness to want to do that to have a bobbin launched at your head <laughs> that much. Yeah, and you can um, only ever be the loser as well, can't you? Like, yeah, unless you like save a last minute penalty, then you're the hero. But other than that, you're like gonna hide him for nothing. Yeah, f- fuck that. Um, so <laughs> so I I thought um I, I I mentioned on Twitter yesterday that we were recording today and asked people to do any comments or questions for you. So we had we had two questions. Uh, actually, 
tree, but one of them was a little bit. Um, but yeah, we'll get into that. Uh, so um, this one's from uh, Denton, uh, Mister Privateer himself. Um, Restrepo, Shala, and Santos, and Sao Nomar, without applying international restrictions. Who are best? best who are our best two centre backs? And does your answer change under certain conditions? Yeah, the latter part of that question is the key. It's horses for courses. It's like, it's like if you were, if you're deciding what vegetables to have with dinner, you, you decide based on what protein you had and what carb you had, wouldn't you? Um, and I think that's what it's like in centre back. I think there's different different players for different games, um, so it's hard to say who the best two are because it completely depends on who who we're playing against, which is a massive cop out of an answer. I know. Well. But that's, that's that's honestly how I feel about it. I wish I could say something a bit more controversial, but I'd be yeah. lying. I think, uh, yeah, I think uh, I think that until we just pointed. No, for, for me, I, I definitely think uh, <laughs> I think Santos has pretty much nailed down one yeah. of those positions, yeah. and it's either between Restrepo and Charlotte. I think I think Peter is really good for those um, those Ottawa games where he's coming up against big, bulky, tough uh, defenders, whereas uh, Matteo is like. I think is, and it's no disrespect to Peter, but I think he's a better ball playing centre half. So he's really good at bringing the ball out and starting play for us. Um, so yeah, it's very difficult to pick between them because they, mm. they, they, it does come down to the opposition. But I, I think Santos somehow after last season has just ingrained himself into that. Agreed. that uh, he's like yeah. pretty, he's probably like one of the first names on the team sheet at this stage. So yeah, him yeah. and Rampus out of the first names for me. So sorry, that was a, a roundabout answer to your question, Denton. But sorry, there Denton. you go. That's that's Gary in a nutshell. So, <laughs> uh, so, so this one was from uh, Derek Simon. So we are almost at the halfway point of the season. Aside from score goals, what does this team need to do differently in the latter half of the season if they hope to make the playoffs? It need the the team needs to evolve in the way that we're all hoping it does. Like the way we're playing, it needs to continue to improve, and it needs to continue to evolve to, yeah, a level where we can actually win two or three games in a row. It's consistency, isn't it? It's just it's kind of like there's been so many false starts this season, and eventually we're going to actually have to string two or three wins together. So, from again, from my point of view, as someone who likes having a way of playing like this, like it, for me, it would be just patience with this way of playing. Um, having coaches feel, sorry, having players who trust their coaches and trust that this process is something that's going to come good eventually. Like I just say, consistency is the key because we haven't won two games in a row, um, mm. which, and I think Adam Jenkinson mentioned in commentary that like last year we were, drawn a lot of games i think we had like 11 draws or something like last year whereas this year we seem to be losing those games so we're not like drawing as many games we're, we're tending to lose them or like to win so i think uh consistency is going to be a huge thing and i i think we like we kind of need to mention that whoever this mystery player is that they're bringing in <coughs> as the the savior that's going to replace uh, Jeremy morelli whoever that player is like they need to get it can't be just a filler we can't have another filler player just to kind of come in and make up a number and hope that they come good I think we need to have somebody who's proven out what mm. what they're doing I mean they need to be good from the get-go so the, the and I know it's difficult the difficulty there is like and again Matt mentioned this in the interview and it's not something I've thought about where like if you want to get someone at Morelli's level you've got to pay like top top wages in the league 
And if you do that, you go into next season with two players who are maxing out your cap and then you've got to like kind of fill them, uh, sorry, surround them with poorly played players at a lower level. So it has to be a short-term contract or a loan or something, I think, unless there's some creative accounting going on or some way of work getting around that. I don't know, but that's that's the difficulty there. I'm, I'm fascinated to see who this player is because I think the profile of this player and what their attributes are will tell us a massive amount about the belief in this system and the direction of travel because the club have had quite a while to like get this deal done now and find the right player who they really want. And it's going to be very informative when we look at this player for the first time and go, Oh, he's good at this. I I understand this now. And yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing who, who it is. I, I, I think, I think part of um, part of the whole thing is that it's kind of mixed messages because Derek was like, ever since Joe was injured, we've been kind of looking for somebody. And then I think Matt, the way you kind of put it across in your interview was like, you know, Oh, the, the hard work's going to start too. And you know what I mean? So it's kind of like, like, do we have somebody lined up or are we going to wait until the window opens, see what's available? It's kind of, no, I think, I think there's, I think there's someone lined up. Definitely. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I definitely hope that it's, uh, I, I get the point of having two people maxing out your, your cap, but I mean, no, I'm not going to say it. Um, so um, <laughs> it was, it was going to be a shitty thing. I didn't want to say it. You so um, it. we had one other question. Uh, this is from your good friend, uh, Donald Belgium. Um, if the Ottawa game was a turning point and we presume the team made some kind of turn after that game, do you think they are now in urban Detroit or 90s Compton? <laughs> I think I think we're in Halifax, Nova Scotia, and not not just literally, figuratively as well. I think I think we're figuratively in Halifax because um, this is circles. this is no, because this is a city that's growing and it's a city that's changing very very rapidly. And some people are happy about those changes. Some people trust the direction of those changes, and some people think the urban planners have had a fucking nightmare. And depending on again where you view this direction of travel, will how you how you fall down on that i personally think the urban planners have done a pretty good job and it's a vibrant upcoming city but i know a lot of people don't feel like that including donald wow i feel like uh you should get into politics man that was the most <laughs> on defense answer i think i've ever heard in my life great job man uh, uh, listen I, back to every podcast everything <laughs> i say is on the fence yeah i know i'm definitely like i'm gonna i'm gonna try and uh, we're gonna start our own political party uh, it's gonna be <laughs> The stadium party um we're gonna win the next uh provincial elections so, so yeah um, marvin had a smart arse uh question on instagram he was asking why did i need a ticket so uh, basically i i gave my ticket to somebody i wasn't gonna go because i've been feeling a little under the weather yeah um not covid don't worry um I got my, my kitty's been sick too so i was uh i gave my ticket away and then i was like I saw the picture. I knew there was a, a TIFO thing going to happen by the Block 108 people, and I really wanted to see it. And I didn't think they'd show it on TV. Um, so I was like, fuck, like, I kind of wanted to go. And somebody saved me, like, somebody saved me at the end of the day and got me a ticket. So yeah, I had a ticket, gave it away, and then I got another ticket. So that looked yeah. cool. The, the TIFO looked cool. Didn't oh it? my God. They did an amazing job on it. Like, I saw some of the pictures leading up to it. Like, um, James Jansen had sent me like a little spoiler pic of what they were kind of planning to do and if you see the videos around the pictures um because we're only allowed to have it up for two minutes because it was covering the garrison thing and yeah um which makes sense because garrison pay a lot of money to sponsor things um so yeah so um <laughs> hey hey uh so um yeah they uh what's call it um so they, they unfurled it and they had like 
the blue smoke bombs in behind it and it looked fucking awesome. So great I job. liked how um, Nico in the Discord described it as legally distinct shredder. <laughs> <laughs> Do not ah. sue us. It is legally distinct enough for it not to be shredder, but it is okay. shredder. Yeah, it's, uh, it's Schroeder. He's uh, the German version. So um, the, the last thing I just wanted to touch on, uh, obviously it was uh, New Canadians Day. I, I think the club is really good at um, doing these kind of team days uh, like the, the DND one was really good and stuff like that. But this one, obviously those two being immigrants ourselves, it was mm. kind of felt a little bit kind of special. And they had, uh, I think one of the core, their corporate partners that bought 500 uh, tickets for new Canadians to come and experience the Wanderers grounds. And I think it was like um, a Syrian dad and his son got to uh, do the coin toss and all that kind of stuff. So uh, it was, it was great, man. I, I love that yeah. kind of stuff. So what did you think? Did you cry? I didn't, I didn't cry. No, not because of that. I cried because of the result. Um, no, it was, great. it was great. Like without, without wanting to like dox myself too much. Like, um, so in my working life, I'm like a team lead for language services for one of those partners who, who sponsored the game. So I had an idea like from that side that it was happening and the organization I work for like fantastic organization um, really are. And I know, the other partner is also a great organization so it was um yeah it was a it was a brilliant event a brilliant it's a brilliant thing to do because like it's hard to talk about this without really collapsing into cliche and platitudes but i really do think like sport and football are very good ways of welcoming people into a community and yep. being being a common unifier like i know in my adult life i've been lucky enough to live in quite a few different cities around the world and like the first two things I always do, because like you move somewhere and go, fuck, I need to make friends. Otherwise I'm going to be a right Larry. Yeah. It's like, firstly, find the local, like pick up football league to join, to play with people. And the second thing is find out which pub shows Premier League games. And once you get those two things down, you kind of organically and slowly make friends. So, so like, I, I really believe that that is a, a valuable thing. So to invite invite all new all these new immigrants a lot of which are refugees as well have come from really awful backgrounds like to invite them into the ground you kind of you're, you're not just inviting them to a football match you're inviting them into a community and you hope that from there it will it will grow outwards and they'll they'll meet people through that community um i know just kind of it's a bit of a waffle but anecdotally just from my perspective as well um a good friend of mine here is currently hosting a ukrainian couple who who obviously fled the situation there um and we we got them tickets to the forge game a couple of weeks ago which was awful oh. but that, i know which is awful but they absolutely <laughs> they absolutely loved it and like they had a brilliant time and then in the days leading up to this game as well they were like can we get tickets again we really want to go and it's like it's really nice to see that very very quickly like like just from talking to them because we had a beer with them before the game for before both the games and like um like the, the 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 girl in the couple, like her English isn't great. So she'll kind of communicate with you through a translator. And she was, when we were walking past the museum, side, the hospital side, sorry, towards the ground, she like said something into her translator and was just showed me it. And it was just like, oh, wow, the atmosphere, wow, the atmosphere and stuff like that. And like, just it's like how quickly that, it's only been two games, but you can tell that that's going to be part of their, like kind of part of the tapestry of their life in, in Canada and in Halifax. So yeah, the, the uh, I really believe football clubs play a hugely vital role in a community as more than just a sports team. And to end that rant, um, yeah, I thought 
that was a really nice idea to do that on Thursday. And like the club would have would have definitely, even though they lost, would have made some new fans out of it. So yeah, brilliant all round. Yeah, I don't think it was a rant at all, man. I think it was really well said. And um, you know, um, it's one thing about Canada since I've been here; it's it's been very welcoming. Um, the people here are really really nice, um, and the fact that the uh, people are coming from the, the worst places, in, in, like the the worst situations, and are coming here and they're being welcomed with open arms, and uh, you know, being brought to um, one of the biggest growing communities in in Halifax i.e. The, fo- the football community the Wanderers community is it, brilliant and I, I really hope that it's made a lot of uh, fans for life and I think it is and I think that's what it's all about you know it's not it's not like the money side of it it's not the whatever it's a lot of times it's just you know we're all it's just a shared experience like we we, we kind of ride the, the highs and the lows together and you know it's kind of nice having somebody alongside you rather than as you said just being like a, a lonely Larry and and uh, just not not having somebody to kind of to share the pain, which is exactly mostly, mostly exactly. what we have to deal with these guys. Um, so uh, I just I did want to get your um, what would be your wanderer CPL heritage moment? because uh, CP, <laughs> the CPL has been running this competition, and I posted like a couple. I posted two, but uh, I kind of wanted to get yours. So, um, like anyone that's ever spoken to me about the club will know what mine is. It's is Yusuf Yusuf Aziz. <laughs> um, <laughs> <laughs> So let's we'll call him as mystery. <laughs> so we'll call him Aziz. Like so, like anyone listening who's relatively new to the club slash wasn't paying complete attention in the first year, we signed a player called Aziz in the off season from out west. Um, and I remember the press release at the time. There wasn't much said about him. He just kind of appeared on the scene, and he was like, "Yeah, he's got an eye for goal" or something like that. And he proceeded to never play a game for the club and disappear at the end of the season. And my passion project is to one day start a true crime podcast (laughs) investigating (laughs) that signing and like how he was signed, what agent, what agent absolutely did us. Because I'm sure an agent has like played an absolute blinder there. So my, yeah, my heritage (laughs) moment is probably the the saga. The disappearance of Yusuf Aziz. But if if, if I'm given a serious one, it'd be, it'd be Pereira's goal in the 2-1 against Forge. I think that was one of, one of the happiest moments of my time in Canada was the five seconds, um, five seconds preceding that goal. Well, like the 15 minutes preceding that goal, to be honest, I was, I was, I was feeling happiness. Unlike, <laughs> like any I've really felt, I'm not a father. So unlike any I've really felt, to be honest, it was brilliant. Yeah. I, I, um, a lot of people kind of had said like the Corey Bent goal against Montreal, um, uh, Omar, uh, Cream's goal against uh, York at the Island Games. Oh yeah, that's a good shout. Yeah. Actually, I was yeah. I was vibrating with with energy after that. Yeah, that's a good shout. I I posted it was a uh, Jordan Morel. Is that his name? Who like uh, <laughs> when you sent off boot at the yeah. table? Fantastic moment. Uh, and <laughs> my then, favorite for that is uh, you remember? Do you remember? Do you ever meet Danae? You work for the club? No. So she um, was she the uh, she was like the social, social media. media person, right? But her face, like when you watch that happen, because she was sitting next to the table, it's just like an O shape like <laughs> oh my god and then the other one I posted was uh, Martin Alne getting sent off for breaking the flag last year I thought that was <laughs> great but that, that was one of my all time favourites yeah, um, yeah. And if, if I, we if we had a picture of it the other one would be Perea and his broken arm yeah, yeah. the night before a match <laughs> and also uh, 
Dave and his missus fishing the wallet out of um, the, the, the porta potty. That's, <laughs> that's definitely that's definitely a uh, Halifax uh, yeah. uh, CPL heritage moment. So man, it's been it's been great um, catching up. It's been uh, we obviously have valor on on Sunday. Um, it's going to be hopefully a, a win that we can kind of uh, get back to winning ways. But I, th- um, I think the next pod will be another double barreled one because I think we've got Valor on the sad on the Sunday and then Cavalry on the Tuesday or the Wednesday. So bit yeah, of a but, bit of a tight turnaround. Yeah, let's do that. Um, so yeah, man, it's been great hanging out. Uh, take care and hopefully I'm feeling a little bit better for the next one. So cool, man. Cheers, right, mate. Bye bye. Take care. Get out! Out to the box!